Why, hello. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Wise Content Creates Wealth. You've heard that content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. <laughs> this podcast is about understanding how you can make and utilize content uh, to improve your financial success. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, and I'm a marketing technology expert who has built multi-million dollar companies. Uh, I'm also an award-winning content producer. Be sure to go to wisecontentcreateswealth.com to sign up for my newsletter and to get access to resources that will help you produce wise content. My company is Galileo Tech Media, and it's a leader in SEO and inbound marketing. And we, we do a lot of wise content. Um, and it, we consider content wise content to be con content that incorporates semantic science uh, behavioral science, artificial intelligence, and data to make marketing content that is smart and that performs better. Um, this podcast is about those uh, those type, types of ways to make content better and also how you uh, produce it efficiently and, and, and promote it effectively. Uh, our, our, our agenda today is uh, customer experience and wise content. Um, and so first, I'm going to talk a little bit about memorable tourism experiences and how that relates to the customer uh, in travel. And then my guest, Joey Kilrane, CEO of DED, is going to talk about designing customer experience and how that really helps the effectiveness of your content. Uh, and then at the end, I will give you a wise content tool to investigate. So first, memorable tourism experiences. Um, back in what 2000, boy, it was about 2016, a year before I got married. My wife, my girlfriend at that time, who later became my wife, we went to uh Portugal, uh, and then and we went to Lisbon. And we and I have a vivid memory, a very vivid, of discovering a small cafe in the neighborhood of Barrio Alto, which had great food, cheap wine. And an all-night open mic Fado performances. Now, Fado is a type of singing. I'll play you a little excerpt in a second, if I can. Uh, and so now, whenever I travel, I look for these kind of places that, that wherever we're staying that are in Portuguese-related uh, neighborhoods or or countries, uh, because I had this vivid memory of that night. It was just intense. You know, it was fun. The people came to the tables and sang to us, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you might imagine it, uh, let me put on, uh, put on a, a sample for you here. Uh, oops, it's not working. Hold on, there we go. <laughs> So anyway, that's, uh, there's a lot of that. I love that now. I didn't know anything about it at the time, but uh, it, it, it sticks in my memory. And so one of the things that um, 
when we started doing research, we do, we do a lot of marketing for travel companies. We did, we did uh, Marriott's hotels worldwide. The things that we did, we discovered some academic research into memorable tourism experiences. And basically it's that kind of experience. It creates a flashbulb memory in a, in, a, in a visitor's mind. And what they found was that those memorable tourism experiences are better than even satisfaction with your stay and indicating whether there's going to be great brand loyalty and whether there's going to be re revisit intention. Um, but more importantly, from a marketing perspective, it was found that anticipation enhances the memorability of an experience. If you anticipate an experience and then it is, it is a great vivid experience, you will remember that and increase your bland loyalty and your revisit intention even more dramatically. And that's an ex example of knowing what customers are wanting to experience and then designing your marketing and your, your, your online experience to help build that anticipation. What we do, since we're in the content and SEO game, is we understand what they're trying to search for and, and, and then what kind of content they're trying to consume. And we also know um, that there are certain emotional indicators, and this is where behavioral science comes in, that, that people are trying to experience in that, that, in that travel. And then if we use words that evoke that type of emotional experience, we're gonna get a better response to our content. We, we've actually done experiments with headlines in search results and get a 20% increase in click-through rates. When we use emotional indicators like uh, hedonism, which is about having the living experience, indulging in activities, novelty, how new it is, local culture, experiencing local culture, communicating with people, refreshment, feeling refreshed, um, and revitalized. Meaningful is, is important. They had a meaningful experience. Involvement. They get really involved in the activities and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the events. And then learning, having new knowledge experiences. These kind of emotional factors um, really make experiences more memorable. And you can also use those to make an enhancement to, um, to the anticipation, which will help the results be better. And like I said, our, 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 our results are really good and really outstanding in this, in this arena. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about um, what we do and how you know, that we, we look to en enhance uh, content with customer experience anticipation. Now I'm going to talk to Joey here. Joey, how are you doing? Oh, what's up, man? I'm loving life right now. You're loving life right now. I love that. I love that background you got behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I was mentioning earlier, this room was, uh, it was off limits up until COVID and it's the only room in the house uh, besides the office, which the, the boss has taken the wife that has a door. Cause my son and daughter were conference bombing like all the time. So I could close the door, but like I said, I'm a little nervous about showing it off because I thought, ah, it's not the traditional like white background and like picturesque. And I thought, listen, I, I'm a builder. That's yeah. what I've been doing. Uh, you know, uh, development, design, uh, some of my hobbies, you know, building cars and all that stuff. So I figured, all right, let's see what people say. And so far, so good. It's actually worked out. For a podcast, for the people listening on me, he's got a wall full of license plates on one side uh, and, a, and another wall full of tools on the other with sort of a, a yellowish uh, light and a greenish light. It's got a little bit of a, a bar vibe. It's really sort of cool. 
and a garage vibe. It's, it's got a combination going on there. Cool. Well, Joey, um, why don't you let everybody know a little bit about your background? Sure. So I've been <clears throat> a designer for uh, roughly uh, two decades now. It's hard to believe that. But yeah, I've been, I've been doing this sort of work for about, you know, 20 years or so. And a lot of it's been involved in either ad tech or fintech. Uh, and with that said, uh, one of the things as a designer that I've been bringing with the teams and the like is that I'm, I'm quite hands-on. So not only do I look to make it, uh, I guess, look good, but I also apply the science component. And I think that's where uh, we walk in with whatever type of framework we're trying to build into, uh, what type of uh, audience that we're working with, and what are some of the sciences behind what their their you know trigger points are. Uh, but I also, uh, in doing that kind of work, there's a lot of data analytics. So we got to make sure that whatever visuals we're coming up with can bolt up to that data analytic. And not only that, but then you have ADA compliance because not everybody has the same you know, vision or dexterity that everybody thinks they have. And we want to make sure that we make it work for as many people as possible. Cool. Well, you were, um, you were around at the beginning of this whole dot-com thing. I remember, uh, you know, meeting you back in the day mm. you know, and, uh, you were with, with the gigapixel, right? Yeah. So th- yeah. what's great about that is what I think back to actually, if I really want to date myself, I, uh, helped launch Viagra before the world knew what Viagra was. Oh. <laughs> I, I worked at I worked at an agency called uh, Klein Davidson Man, and I remember I'm like, who needs this stuff, right? Like, what is that? <laughs> you were very young then, right? Yeah, I was like a twenty twenty one year old guy. Like, I don't know. Now it's like, oh, now I understand why. But back then, it was it was just so odd. And, and one of the um, one of the challenges back then was that. Uh, a lot of designers didn't think in terms of development. They just thought, okay, I'm going to make something. And then the, the developer is just going to go do it. And there was always this disconnect. So, and it even happened with me and where I got very hands-on was, all right, well, let me understand why. And then I learned HTML and CSS and I became proficient with it. Uh, even to the point where I started teaching at different state universities. Cause I thought, yeah, if you know, if you know how to build it, then your design is limitless. You could do almost anything, right? And then, but then you also have a better empathy for the developer because now you know what their struggle is and you're not just throwing things over the wall. And they do that to this day. People throw it over the wall and figure, well, they'll figure it out. And when it comes back not looking the same, not only are you disappointed, but the uh, person who's paying is disappointed. Right. And now you have a bit of a challenge there. So uh, I've been able to not get into those problems for quite some time. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I know. I remember the, the uh, yeah, when we were, First starting, we were inventing a lot of things, and it's changed, and it's changed a lot since then. When we get back, let's talk about customer experience, all right? Sure. All right. Hi, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast. I'm here with my guest, Joey Kilrain. So, Joey, when I um, when we uh, work in the travel space, we have to identify a lot of micro moments where customers are, are interacting, you know, with with online in some way or even other in other cases offline uh, to understand you know, how they go about buying buying now you you mentioned you mentioned to me something about customer touch points is that sort of the the same sort of concept and what does that mean for you sure so it it's 
quite similar in that. And where I would start off is there's always a before, a during, and after uh, touch point. And uh, it's very important for your customers or for anybody who's in the business to know what that means. So, for example, uh, if you have a touch point uh, when it starts with like a Facebook review. So you put up a product and you have like XYZ product that you have. And the reviews of that product are obviously going to impact the traffic you're getting to your site. But then uh, and let's say it's all positive that's coming in. However, there's also going to be people that are going to be uh, commenting via Facebook to you uh, as a message, like a private message. And how are you handling all those different points? If you don't know what that content is that's directing, impacting that flow, then you're just kind of shooting in the dark. So someone like yourself that would do that kind of content, yeah, you would focus on what is the review that people are coming back with and how can I modify my messaging real time in order to bring up that empathy uh, or that behavioral uh, information you were mentioning before about how that's now going to get them or get more people to want to believe and buy into that product. Right. So, so is that what you consider the before the touch point is before they come to your site, they're doing something on Facebook? Right. Because let's think about it. When people do a review, there's a variety of ways they can go look at it. Uh, And I myself, when I go to look to buy a product, I'll go to Amazon, let's say, and I don't read the five-star reviews because I think that's all baloney. And I don't, I don't read the one-star reviews either because that's usually people who are either disgruntled and they might be disgruntled in a way and that's totally fine. But it also might be people who just didn't understand what they bought Mm -hmm. and they made a mistake. And then they're just ranting about something where, you know, like I've seen things like when I built the cars, I see guys that say, well, I bought it for a Chevy, but the product says it's meant for a Ford. Yeah, right. So don't be mad that it doesn't work <laughs> on your Ford, right? Don't be mad so, that you're don't be mad that you're stupid. <laughs> yeah, or or you know what, but you know what that says though, you know what's amazing about yeah. that, especially with content, is that people don't read. Yeah. They don't read a lot of big stuff. They bite-sized info. And that's something for like again, when you get into you know writing content, why that is such a challenge is because you're trying to stand out from a crowd of people that use the same words you're trying to use. Mm-hmm. And how do you not do that? And that is you know, it's a bit of an art form. It's, you know, it's where like someone like myself, when it comes to visual work, yeah. How do I make you stand out? Everybody has the same colors. Everybody's using almost the same fonts, uh, but there are ways to differentiate it. And that that's how we go about it. So, but getting back to the touch points, right? So when it gets into the before aspect of the before aspect is where you're putting messages out there and you're seeing which ones are sticking. Mm-hmm. What is that sticking? Right. And the sticking part is a combination. It's the wording, but it's also how it looks. And at that point, as I'm getting that feedback, that's what's going to start translating to what people are going to go purchase. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, w- with Amazon, I don't review, I don't read five or one-star reviews. I'll read between two and four, right. and sometimes even three, because that's where, like, the third-star review, that's where I think people actually write descriptive and knowledgeable remarks. Stuff. So how would you, as a yeah, marketer, customer experience uh, person, how would you affect the conversation in Amazon reviews and, or design it in such a way that it would motivate people to come to the next step in the, in the journey. Well, thankfully that's not necessarily my job to, okay, <laughs> to go and do right. that. But, but I, what I will say with that though, is when it comes to uh, reading it as a designer, when I do my research on a product, I am going to read those reviews uh-huh. and I'm going to find out like, what are people saying that they don't like about it? And whatever they don't like, that's what I personally have to fix as a designer. So if it's a digital product, let's say, and I don't know, we'll give an example of uh, uh, I can't read the the fonts 
Okay, is it ADA compliant? Uh, Are the colors uh, contrasting enough? Is the fonts big enough? Are you letting your customers read it? If I'm working with, for example, like someone like my mom, uh, she wasn't born with the internet. So when it comes to her using stuff, it could be a bit more challenging. And if it's a, let's say, a government agency, well, yeah, it has to be super basic. Why? Because not everybody has the, you know, the latest and greatest stuff. Like, you know, some people may not be able to get it that way. So we have to make it more feasible for them. But it is really honing in on your market. So by reading those research reviews, that's telling me, okay, if I'm designing something for this audience and it isn't working for them, well, then I need to figure out and read the reviews because people will tell you that and, you know, I use so that. It, as part really, of it really helps inform your design to, to, to try to, uh, you know, address what is people not liking or emphasizing what they like. That's a good point. Right. But you know yeah. what's amazing about that is because far too often when we get to design, design is often considered last, which is obviously a terrible idea because then you're making emotional decisions that you think work for you. And that's awful. Because you're not the one using it. And most people don't realize that 4.4% of their customers have vision or uh, dexterity challenges. Mm-hmm. Right? And I actually, I, I did some work for, uh, not going to name names, but I did work for a large uh, uh, a nationwide company that sells clothing to children, to toddlers. Mm-hmm. And I gave an example of, all right, if a pregnant woman comes into the store, and she's trying to use your phone. Okay, this is quite easy if I can cradle it and do my stuff. Mm-hmm. But now I have my child and I'm pulling my kid and I'm trying to use my phone at the same time. That Now that becomes a problem as I'm trying to navigate particular products that you have in your store. Right. And the buttons are small. Did you think about that? Right. So it's just giving like that example and taking the emotion oh, out of decision making. Yeah, make it science-based because now, like granted, you may not like that shade of green, but if that shade of green excites uh, or actually passes ADA compliance, I'm going with that shade of green. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like this other shade and it's not ADA compliant, I mean, we could do that, but that's going to impact your content, like how you're delivering the test because now people can't read it. And also customers can't buy. So it's kind of like, no, let's not make emotional decisions. Let's get design up in the front. Let design talk. Uh, I know design can sometimes slow things down, but that's because we're making sure what we're going to do, we do it right the first time. Mm-hmm not like four or five iterations later and you've spent how many thousands of dollars you're frustrated. You frustrated all the teams. Why? Because we went dev first and not a combination of design and dev. Hmm. So there's a lot of behavioral science and data that goes into designing really well done uh, content and apps and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, you're following these customers along this journey. Hmm. Um, you know, at one point I forgot I was going to make really quick is I don't don't do products, but uh, we uh, obviously in the travel space and people do reviews for rooms, right? And one of the things uh, we have found particularly effective in reviews is always to answer the reviews. Yes. And, and it basically you bend with it. You know, you don't try to be confrontational. But the key, here's the key, and this is to people out there listening, is that you sell the benefits of your place in the review. So if somebody says, I didn't, I missed having a toast at breakfast. So I didn't like toast. And you say, Oh, we're so sorry that we didn't have toast, but uh, we'll try and do that next time. But we hope you enjoyed the Belgian waffles and the donuts that we had there as well. All right. right I was going to say pancakes, but yeah. close enough. <laughs> right. So the point is, is that uh, for people and how to deal with reviews, that is the most simplest way to deal with it. 
is uh, from a behavioral thing. But anyway, back to uh, journeys and movements. You know, I guess you have to really keep track of customer movements in, in, in the way you work. And how do you do that? And what does that mean, actually? Oh, so customer movements, uh, it is absolutely all over the place. Uh, and funny enough, given the fact that we're all uh, sequestered to our homes, there's very little movement that's going on in our, in, for most of us in our physical life, but uh-huh. in our digital life, yeah, our movements are all over the place. So I think uh, it's to each their own to some degree. And the way that I've uh, been able to keep up with it first is, is just going to LinkedIn and reading headlines that are relevant. Right. And what does that mean? So as a designer, things are relevant to me or what's going on in the industry. Uh, I mean, there's always the classic stuff where uh, design is proving to be more effective in certain industries. Uh, or there's the even better ones where uh, there's uh, the guy who uh, and this is obviously a bit old, but the guy who couldn't order a pizza through Domino's, uh, their app, and then he sued Domino's and won. Uh-huh. And it's crazy because you couldn't order it, but it proves that usability is actually a big thing for a lot of people. So that's one. Like you read these headlines, and I think you can read it and apply it to what your your day to day life is. Uh, next thing I do though is I also kind of limit how much info I get because you know I got Slack, Skype, uh, uh, Teams. Uh, I've got uh, Facebook messaging, Instagram messaging, and I absolutely filter how much stuff comes into my inbox because I just don't want to be distracted. Right. It's just way too much going on. All that noise can actually confuse you. And then you're like kind of like all over the place. Like, what do I read first? Uh, it does get you a little nervous, but that's why I have like my friends in the industry that'll also reach out and say, Hey, did you read this article? Did you check this out? But I have mine filtered. And then the last is uh, again, going to my network, going to LinkedIn. Like, what do you, what, like what's Joseph doing this week? Like, what did he make a comment on that might be interesting to me? And then last is uh, keeping up with your competitors. If you want to see your customers' movements and you have a competitor that's doing something that you see a lot of people are liking, maybe you need to consider it. Maybe not copy them, of course, but, you know, see what your competitors are doing. And like, hey, that that's actually a smart idea. I can incorporate that into what I'm doing mm-hmm. or, you know, to some degree. Or maybe even partner with them. Who knows? I mean, competitors sometimes can also be your, your ally. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a good point to talk about research and filtering information. That, I mean, that's essentially data. You know, um, I, I, it's incredibly important. At this point, you know, I've had several companies and I've kept every email address I ever had. It all forwards to my original email, my current email address. At this point, I get 10,000 emails a day. <laughs> and I have to, I have to, uh, you know, I have to do a lot of filters and bots. And it, it's very important in terms of your your ability to understand what's going on in the world, because that informs you how to uh, be aware to, um, you know, to uh, the questions to ask about what you're doing in terms of your content. So So, actually just one thing with that, I I had uh, done some work for Wembley stadium in 2019 and we did all this research around email. And what we learned is that uh, for each person has anywhere between five to nine email addresses, but they only check two to three of those daily the -hmm. others are maybe in the year so to your point yeah you have all this stuff coming in it's like when i hear people do email marketing i'm like oh god it just sounds like a super rough business uh versus like trying to get directly to them and i know it's hard right i'm not discrediting it but to know that have that factor like that knowledge of what's going on yeah i it's it's super hard And, and again for you to filter what's important to you it really does become a challenge All right, when we come back, we'll be talking about some more aspects of customer experience in design. 
This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast and my guest, Joey Kilrain. So, Joey, you, uh, you are a customer experience expert. Tell me what that means. Customer experience expert, meaning I have a thorough knowledge of what customers are going to expect when it comes to your product, but I'm also considering how this affects either the framework and flow that you have set up in your actual product and getting into ADA compliance, layout, and the like. Right. And and you you do a lot of work with content, correct? I do. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's, that, that's uh, probably the biggest thing is letters and how letters appear on the screen. <laughs> letters and how they appear on the screen, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It goes it, into it, that kind of decision-making. So what's, you know, what's great with that is because when you think about that decision-making process, everybody thinks bigger is better, like bigger headlines, bigger text and all that. And in reality, actually a little bit of white space gives your mind the chance to kind of control and focus on what it is that's in front of them versus all the noise that people think they need to put on the page in order to get someone to make a decision. Oh, wow. What, well, oh, that's a kind of interesting. So there are all sorts of myths about content and, and things in, and you're in the design. What are some other myths, of the biggest ones in your industry? God, as designers, this is awesome. Yeah. There may, wait, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> so I would actually start off by, by talking like design thinking is only for new products. And that is so not true. Uh, there's plenty of products that are in M MVP mode and you're just going to just keep iterating those products and make them better. You don't always have to make something new. You just have to improve something. And sometimes there's something really tiny that improves that workflow. Uh, another one that, and this one is probably uh, biggest out there is that only creatives can do creative work. You'd be surprised how many people have given me ideas, whether it's a product manager or you know, even a developer doing a little sketch and making me realize, well, I didn't think of it that way. And of course, like I'll, I'll know the skills and tools to use to go make it look more like relevant. But yeah, everyone can pick up a crayon and draw an idea. You don't just have to be a creative to do that. Uh, another thing is design thinking produces faster results. Actually, it doesn't. Uh, the design process can slow things down because we're going to research. So I'm, I'm, as much as I want to get it out the door quickly, I also don't want to get it out the door and have to build it five times. Mm -hmm. The amount of money, effort, and resources that go into that, not to mention the frustration we, we spoke about earlier. Yeah, who wants to do that? And then everybody's mad at each other. Why? Because we're going too quick. So design a design process, again, will slow it down, but it'll keep it on the road. <laughs> All right. That's kind of interesting. What if, um, what if you're reacting to something that's in the moment, right, that is like uh, – you know, uh, you know, some sort of thing happened on TV or something like that. And, and you, know, you know, the demand is going to be huge for about five minutes. Is there ways you can bring design thinking into that? So I would, uh, my world isn't necessarily in that in the in sort of like the sales world, right? And I think that's a that's a great point to make between designers because there's some designers that are sales focused where their goal is to lure you in. To, yeah. Right. So let's say like an Instagram campaign. I'm, I'm here to try to lure you into the product. However, the type of designer I am, I'm more on the business side where I need to make it work. So yeah. there's all that like glamour and fun stuff. But then when you get into the product, all right, I got to get my work done. So now like the honeymoon is over and now this is the day to day grind that I have to get through. Now, when it comes to being reactive in my group, we're normally not reactive. We're proactive and proactive again gets back to the design of slowing it down to make sure what we're going to do is right. 
Now, I don't, I don't have all day in the world to get this done. But what I do know is that if I put just a little bit of science behind what we're doing, a little bit of thought between development and how they have to use it, at least now I have something that's got a little bit of tooth to it versus, ah, again, if we just went and spent three months trying to build something and we realized, yeah, that was dumb. Like there was no thinking behind it at all. And that, that challenge there, as long as you come in with the science part of it, that approach, you won't make an emotional decision. It, it you know, again, it's not going to be perfect, but at least it's better than just saying, oh, yeah, I think that's just go do that. And then you find yourselves, you know, with no research to back up that decision making. And now you don't have something that can go to market. So that's interesting. So really, you are talking about how to make wise content that will be long lasting, right? Mm. That, yeah. that, that'll be that'll be useful, productive and worthwhile for it's not just for the moment. It's it's also going to produce a return for quite a long time. Right. And, you know, uh, an example of that is when I have to deal with content, because I, I, a lot of times I um, working with like the big uh, uh, fintech and ad tech companies. At the end of the day, I am just making an Excel table. Mm -hmm. Just got data. That's it. Now, how it looks, that's where I put the magic to it. But at the end of the day, you boil it down. That's all it is. Just a just a glorified table. But how do we make the content work in that table? And an example would be uh, let's say like a headline. So if I know that I can only fit 250 characters in that space, why are you going to be giving me content that's 300 characters long? Okay. It's not going to work, right? So I got to trim it down some. So how do we go to trim it down? Will you, the content guy, go trim it down? Or will I make this font smaller to make it fit? Because now we have 300 characters, right? So it's that kind of stuff where when you're dealing with like an enterprise product, uh, that could be a challenge, not to mention if you're going to be in other languages like Arabic or Mandarin, that's another mm -hmm. thing to consider because now like, how, like Arabic is right to left. And not only that, but they're not using English characters they're using, you know, those specific type typefaces that they have. So it definitely impacts how the page is going to be laid out. But from a content perspective, it's to learn, all right, how much content do you think you're going to need in there? You know, like give me an idea. Like, what is your call to action button? Is your call to action button going to be a sentence or is it going to be like eight or nine characters? Oh, interesting. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of management in what you do. I guess you have to have um, some sort of content workflow, workflow. And if you do, how does it relate to a design system? So uh, awesome, because it, it's uh, I don't have it to a perfect science. And when I do, I'm going to bottle it up and sell it to everybody uh, uh, with that. But I think it's to each their own, right? Like you have different companies that have different requirements. If I'm dealing with someone that's more on the marketing side of things, well, yeah, their content's probably going to fluctuate a bit more than if I'm dealing with something like a big, let's say, again, like a fintech company. But how I establish that workflow is it's a series of like uh, either repeatable or scalable components. So, so again, going back to my original uh, comment about the headline, if I'm dealing with an H1 headline, I'm going to use that font size consistently throughout every element that I produce for you. So if Joseph has 10 campaigns he's going to put together, each of those 10 campaigns are going to have the same font headline, same color, same placement, because right. we know where to look every time. That's my design system. So I have, and how I built that is that Joseph told me, uh, my headlines are anywhere between 250 to 300 characters. And I can accommodate for that on the page. And that also means if I have to put a picture on there or how, how do I arrange it on the page? That's where a design system comes in, but it's based off of your input. Now, it's not to say Joseph can't change it. If you come back and say, you know what, I'm going to only do 100 characters, 
okay, we can modify it accordingly, but at least we're basing it off of some science versus just doing something that we think is cool. And then it doesn't fulfill the need of, of flipping the customer. Uh, but then there's also like, uh, I guess the way the process would go from start to finish and uh, maybe not in this order, but I'm going to try. Uh, we have the ideation where you're going to think of the idea. Then we're going to try to validate it. We're going to validate it against either customers or even uh, maybe even the product that we're going to do. Uh, development, which is obviously building it. Uh, then you have the wonderful world of iteration where you're going to, you know, A-B test and, and move on and on. Uh, fine tuning a little bit, tagging, optimizing, and then hopefully getting it to a point where it's an assembly line. Right. And then actually putting it in the field and see how it performs, right? Yes. So once it gets to that, I guess an easy way to break it down would be wash, rinse, repeat. All right. Yeah, there you go. Right? Like you put it in, you wash it, you rinse it off, and then you do the process all over again. You keep going and going. (laughs) What should uh, customers know before they get into starting the design system? Oh, well, the, the, probably the biggest thing they should know is uh, when you're building a design system, there's always the challenge of who's going to build it. Mm-hmm. And some design systems, and I guess you could relate a design system similar to like a, like a content management system, like WordPress versus Wix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we'll boil it down to keep it simple. So most people know what WordPress is and most people know what Wix is. Wix is really bare bones, meaning you can go set it up within an hour and you're done. Uh, however, Wix can be limited to a lot of things you can do with it. On the flip side, WordPress, you could still set it up relatively quickly, but it's unlimited in what you can do. It's very heavy on the back end. But when you get into that world of trying to choose which one, and if I dial it back to the design, uh, I would say, yeah, look at the designer's work. Who is it that you're gonna work with? Like find out, have they worked with something in that industry that's similar to you? Or is there something about it that you find appealing? Uh, there's onshore and offshore as well. Like onshore teams operate differently than offshore. Uh, I personally like onshore teams because there's a bit of a get it factor and I don't have to like handhold them as much, but they could be more expensive. Offshore, not as expensive, but a lot more handholding. And you got that, which one do you want? Do you want the pain now? Or you want the pain later? You know, right. It's, it's going to come at you. But then uh, I, I would also argue that people sometimes wonder if my team is full-time or part-time and that affects their psyche. And I, I honestly don't look at it either way. All I look at it is if you're dedicated, the full-time part-time thing doesn't matter to me. If you're dedicated, I don't care. If you're, if you're dedicated to help me get this done, then I don't care if you spend two hours on it now and 10 hours later, as long as we hit that deadline, we're good. So um, what are the great resources that helped you and that, uh, and and that that have helped your clients? Well, uh, some of the one of the big resources is myself. Like I, I love being able to uh, <laughs> at least give them an idea of what they're going to get into, and I try to you know dumb it down for them. It's almost like uh, you go to the garage and you you imitate the sound the car's making to the mechanic, and he's trying to listen to like whatever sound you're making to go figure it out. I like to be that kind of person for for the clients, but then I, I help them with products like either Envision or Figma or Sketch, where uh, there's conversations that they're having that are relevant to the design industry. And I, you know, either will forward them a couple of articles that are about it or even bring it to their attention and say, hey, you should look at how these guys are doing it. Because while it may not be, let's say, the tourism industry, uh, they are talking about a customer flow that you might be able to be inspired off of and apply to your uh, to what you're doing. OK, cool. And then you you talked to me briefly about something in the groups called Smashing Magazine. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. So Smashing Magazine, it's just a, it's, it's a, uh, it's a designer's resource, but I've referred it to many people because there's a lot of articles on there that talk about some of the challenging things that designers face. Uh, I, I feel like the design industry at times can be, um, well, it is often misunderstood because people don't know what designers do. You know, like they hear visual design and graphic design. You and I would know the difference. But if I asked my mom, she would tell you, if you ask my mom, what do I do? She would say, my son's a webmaster. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there we go. Was... Good, good, good point to end, on the, end, end for the break. And we'll come back <laughs> more uh, about, uh, you know, uh, things that people can do. Hi, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with Wise Content Creates Wealth and my guest, uh, Joey Kilrain. So, Joey, a couple minutes here. Um, if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? Oh, my goodness. So, uh, you know, they say uh, experience comes from failure, right? All right. And I, I have a lot of experience. So what does that tell you? Uh, but I, I would say uh, as a human being, uh, the one thing that I didn't do, which I wish I'd have done when I was younger, was ask for help, right? Because there are things I, I can't do at all. As much as I like to think so, I can't. I know what I can do. And what I think with my career, I knew what I was really good at empathy. I really, and I knew I was good at listening. Uh, and then I'm a nerd and I'm a creative. So putting those things together, that was my little bucket. But, uh, you know, getting people to help or, or yelling for help, right? Like, hey, you know, help me over here. I've realized, uh, actually, COVID actually helped me understand that I could use my network of people to do the things I don't do. And let me partner with you and learn from you and maybe even have you do that stuff because, you know, that's not my thing. And it's really helped me hone where I've been going with my work and the like. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think the whole process of doing wise content, when you're creating it, don't put it all on your shoulders. Uh, I think it's an important point. It's like, it, you know, uh, your wisdom is, is probably not enough. You need to get multiple input and, uh, and, 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 and assistance. I think that's yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know what else? Another thing is, uh, as I'm getting older in my career, I'm realizing that I am not the only one who is super skilled with stuff and I have to trust people to do that. But trust is obviously a very hard thing to do because, you know, you got my idea, you've got money, you know, limited resources. So what I've learned, and, and this is actually something I've been doing for, for a very long time is in order for me to gain the trust of someone, there's obviously my, my moral compass, right? And if I sense something that doesn't seem right or the Philly, right? The Philly side of you look like, nah, you know, like, this guy don't give you the right vibe. But then if it does, okay, well, here's a very small task for you to do. And that small task could be, uh, let's have a meeting next week at one o'clock. And if you show up late, okay, maybe something happened. But if that's consistently late, then I know I can't depend on you for stuff. That's really basic. But if we can get past that and we get into things where, okay, now you're going to do some work for me. Again, I'm only going to give you a task that I think I could get done in case you fail. Right. Or you bail or you're on, like, let's say, I don't know, you got to pick the right font size. Okay. I could do that with my eyes closed, but uh, let me see if you could do it. And if so, cool. Now you're gaining more of my success. And there, that's how I've been able to build my teams of people that I've known for God, some of them for 10, 15 years. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. How can people get in contact with you? 
um, and, and, and form a relationship with you. So great way would be just to go to LinkedIn. Just look for, for Joey Kilrain, and that's Kilrain with one L, not two. Uh, or you could reach me on my uh, site at joseph at D-E-D. That's a digital experience design dot company. You can reach me there cool, as well. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to tell, I'm going to give everybody now some insights into some wise content tools, uh, which I try to do every show. Um, you know, one we discovered recently is called S. SEO writing assistant, uh, and, we, and we haven't done a lot of work with it, but so, but we trust the tool set from which it came from, uh, and and we've started using it, and it seems to be a great uh, tool. And it's it's called SEO writing assistant, um, and it's part of SEM Rush tool set. SEM Rush is a fabulous uh, tool used by a lot of people for SEO and search engine marketing. To find keywords, see see you know how you're doing against the competition. Well, this writing assistant has um, is uh, it, it gives any writer the ability to check the SEO potential and originality of a piece of content they're working on in real time. So not only that, you can also use it to determine how easy it is to read that piece of content is for your users. Um, and basically, you connect it to either your Google document or your WordPress press dad draft. And uh, it will analyze how well the text complies with uh, SEO recommendations based upon the top 10 rankings uh, pages for the, your given keywords in the given location. Um, it also will check the originality of a piece of text uh, with a plagiarism checker feature. Uh, and with it, you can maintain your brand's tone of voice as each, in each com- content piece you publish. You can make sure your content is optimized you can re- improve the article before publication, make it easy to read, and then again, check the quality of the SEO. Uh, you, there is a free trial, so I would, I would recommend that you give that a, 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 sh- a shout out. Um, other tools that uh, we're, we're, we're looking at, and what we're, we're actually doing is we're, we're compiling, and we've over, we're up to about 100 so far, we're, we're gonna be compiling a huge list of AI-related content tools. Um, and it's going to be on, uh, I think, both Galileo site and on wisecontentcreateswealth.com. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, something that, uh, that's similar is uh, Grammarly, which I think is a more, uh, a more traditional tool that people have used. And it, Grammarly can be used to fix AI errors, it uses AI to fix errors in your writing and help you write better. And it has a basic free plan as well. So um, it's, uh, I think it's an exciting world to be uh, getting into AI-based stuff or content. Uh, there's things for, you know, doing behavioral analysis, that, like there's something called crystal nose, which you can tell you, give you suggestions of an analyzing the, the, the psychological profile of somebody from their LinkedIn, and then suggest how you should speak to them. Uh, and I, we, I've had good success modifying what I'm providing to them based upon, you know, those sort of things. Now, none of this is uh, 100% foolproof. None of it is 100% accurate. And some of it is, is a lot of times very awkward. So you have to use your best judgment, but it really can help you inform what you're doing in terms of that. Um, I want to mention, uh, give some shout outs now. Um, we're on the network uh, live called talkradio.nyc. And it has a lot of good shows on it. The one that's preceding um, this one is, is called The Entrepreneurial Web, 
on Fridays at noon. Uh, and it's hosted by Jeremiah Fox. And I find that, you know, I had listened to it sometimes and I find it very useful uh, for, you know, small business, especially on what, how to use the web for what they're doing. So I would recommend uh, people go to that. There's other great uh, podcasts on this, uh, on this channel. I also have a, uh, as I mentioned, I have a motel in North Carolina in the Smoky Mountains. As, and I have created a podcast dedicated to the Great Smoky Mountains called Gateway to the Smokies, which is on Tuesdays from six to seven, where it's more of a about travel and culture. And uh, I try to make it fun with uh, music. I had a I had a Grammy winning uh, uh, bluegrass player there recently. Um, so uh, you know, I bring in uh, a mix of uh, different kinds of you know entertainment stuff going on. Um, of course, I remind you to go to GalileoTechMedia.com to look at uh, my business, uh, which is a, a, an SEO firm, and uh, we specialize in really great content, wise content, and content to scale, uh, as well as all sorts of uh, you know tasks related to content. Also, we have editorial link building with content, uh, which is a, a really a, a more of a digital PR effort. So uh, I, I, I want to shout out to that. Um, don't forget to go to our Facebook page. And, and it's facebook.com slash wise content creates wealth like that. Uh, be part of the community. That's where I'll probably answer questions and, and things about the show and, and wise content. So you can go there. And then wise content creates wealth.com will be is being developed right now will be an aggregate of all the information so that it can point you to where all the different things that we mentioned on this show. Um, next week, let me tell you, we are going to have, oh, I just lost my uh, little uh, page here. Hold on. Uh, Well, I will. Uh, we have a great speaker, whoever it is. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Right? Oh, it's uh, it's going to be uh, next week. It's going to be Mike Grehan, who is one of the top SEOs in the game. He is uh, with. Uh, he was former president of Sempo. Uh, he is uh, the the CMO, top SEO for Acronym, uh, which deals with enterprise SEO. He will be here. Uh, he's 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 getting and he's conceptualizing the uh, you know uh, customer experience optimization uh, uh, you know in, in fact wanting to um, you know content experience optimization sorry customer experience is what we're talking about content experience optimization to replace SEO as the as the the term we should be using for our industry and I think that works really well with wise content. Uh, and we've, we, you know, we, we, we're looking forward to present that to you. So see you next week. Thank you, Joey, again. Bye everybody. Have Thank a good, you. have a good weekend. See you.